I'm your host, Mary Beth Smith. My guest today for episode 61 is Sean Kelly, and he talked to me about his love of X-Men comic books and films and all things therein. We talked a little bit about uh, the animated series as well, so might as well throw that in there. Um, I knew this was going to be a fun one. Sean is a super knowledgeable dude about... uh, things nerdy and just things in general super smart guy uh so i was looking forward to it um and it didn't disappoint um he knows a ton uh about uh everything that's involved in the series and uh just you know has a lot of cool takes on uh, what he thinks that uh comic book movies should strive to be and, and superhero movies in general um and and the kinds of ways that uh, ones in the past, including ones in the X-Men franchise, uh, have fallen short of that, and I, it was cool to hear his, uh, takes on, um, what all that meant, and it made me really want to see Days of Future Past, which I'm kind of, like, disappointed in myself for not having seen yet, because I really, really liked First Class, and I, I really just enjoy X-Men in general, I think, uh, a lot of the things that Sean touches on, um, that he really likes about it, I share that the idea that it's, it's a story about outcasts and, and not necessarily about, uh, just about heroes, uh, is, is really interesting and relatively unique. So, um, get into that. He also, um, said that he thinks X-Men is, uh, has always been his guiding light of morality, and I think that's really funny and awesome uh, that he can kind of track that uh, back through his years of fandom. Uh, and it, it was cool to hear him um, really be able to speak to that and how uh, he feels like he relates to specifically uh, Cyclops and and uh, that kind of serious nature of a character that he sees in himself. It, it was It was fun. It was really cool. So, I think everyone's going to enjoy this. Uh, we touched on this a little bit, but man, I saw Guardians of the Galaxy this weekend, and if you like movies that make you laugh and entertain you throughout and have good acting and good editing and good directing and good storylines and, uh, you know, all those other things that are great to like about movies, I don't see how you can't like this movie. It's incredible it's one of the best movies i've seen in a long time and i don't hesitate to say that i want to see it again immediately and i'm not even someone who rewatches movies very often uh but it was just that funny and that entertaining that i know that there are things that i will notice and like about it on a second viewing that i didn't even catch uh on a first viewing and i recommend seeing it in theaters just because it's awesome to look at but it was also so much fun to experience with a large audience all reacting reacting to it um, at once, and, uh, from, like, laughter to, uh, sentimental moments, it's just so good, top to bottom, I can't stop talking about it or thinking about it, or wanting to see it again, uh, so that's my MBSing 
recommendation for the week. I think we'll be seeing the bump in its sales because of this, because obviously it needs it. I'm being facetious. Uh, some quick plugs coming up this month. Um, on the 21st, 22nd, and 23rd will be the Jangle Heart Circus. That is a festival run by the uh, proprietors of the Upstairs Gallery venue here in Chicago. The Neurologs will have a set at 8 o'clock on the Saturday of Jangle Heart Circus. That is the 23rd. On uh, August 17th, there are two things going on at the same time that both mean a lot to me, but I will be at one and not the other. They'll also be in the same place. Weird. Um, one is the premiere of a uh, pilot that Jesse Stegner, past guest of the show and fellow member of the Nerdalogs wrote, called Support. Uh, the doors for that open at 6, with I believe the premiere starting at 7. Uh, there's more info about that online. Um, but I was in that, and uh, pretty much everyone in Raygun was, and it was an incredible amount of fun, and I'm really excited to see the finished product. And uh, that same night, the Nerdalogs will be having our monthly Your Stories event at 7 o'clock at the Public House Theater. Both of them are at the Public, South Public House Theater. So show up, uh, pick your poison. Uh, I think they'll both be great events to be a part of. Um, our guests this month for, uh, your stories are the people behind Geek Bar, which is coming soon to Chicago on Clyburn. Uh, so the theme is Bottoms Up. It was my idea. No big deal. Um, also continuing every Friday until the first Friday of September, uh, will be Ray Ray Fridays. Uh, so come by the One Group Mind Theater at 8 o'clock. Come see uh, one of our uh, last shows in that space. Uh, this Friday is also, coincidentally, Scott Braidman, past guest of the show's last show with us before he moved to Massachusetts. Um, this, The last show in that space will mark at least uh, Nick Johnson's last show with the group, who is also a past guest of the show, who is also leaving Chicago for one of the coasts, but the opposite one. So uh, these last these last few are going to feel uh, pretty important to us, and I know that we'd love to have as many supporters in the crowd as we can. So if you're uh, listening to this and still haven't seen Reagan Reagan, or have before and thought it was a fine show, come back, see us again. Uh, see these guys off in style because they're uh, two people that I've just thoroughly enjoyed working with and uh, that team means a lot to me uh, so if you like this show maybe you'll like the show and uh, that's about it as far as I can tell this Saturday is uh, the Playgrounds Incubator Night that's at 10 o'clock at the Playground so that's the 6th at 10 o'clock um, oh no it's the 9th I'm sorry at 10 o'clock and uh, that should be a lot of fun, too. When Molly Jones was on the show, we talked about it a decent amount. So lots of things to check out to uh, support past guests, future guests, your host, etc. Turn listening to a podcast into coming to a live show. Um, that makes sense, right? Sure. Just like they turn comic books into movies, as we talk about in at length. With Sean Kelly, do I think 
uh, entertaining and intriguing results. So enjoy this. And uh, if you like podcasts and improv or any combination of those two things and or Star Trek, listen to the improvised Star Trek. I've talked about it before. I'm sure I'll talk about it again. It's an absolute blast. They're very good at what they do. And uh, Sean is very much an integral part of what makes that show great. So, especially if you dig his uh, takes on this, go check that out. And dig his takes on playing Kirk Watson, the chief science officer on the USS Sisyphus, which is the uh, ship from Improvised Star Trek. And those dudes and ladies are just super funny and super smart and uh, really good at what they do. So, check that out. But after you listen to this enjoyable conversation. Sure, I started recording. Um, oh, all right. Yeah, I did it. Uh, so, my guest today is Sean Kelly. Hi. Uh, he's mostly chosen to talk about uh, the X-Men. <laughs> mostly. Mostly. <laughs> I might talk about X-Force or Generation X or uh, X-Factor any, or one uh, of the others. Crossfire. Splinter Groups. <laughs> Uh, we'll start out with, uh, what's the origin of your love for X-Men? Okay, uh, so... What's uh, your X-Men origin? My X-Men origin story? <laughs> well, I was, uh, kidnapped by, uh, Department H, uh-huh. uh, and had my bones laced with adamantium. No, uh, <laughs> by the Weapon X Project. Uh, the, when I was a kid, I, I kind of hit, uh, I was nine years old in 1991, which was when X-Men number one came out, which oh, wow. was written by Chris Claremont and drawn by Jim Lee, and it was, like, the best-selling comic book of all time, and, like, every kid I knew, like, had that comic, and so, like, I went out, my brother and I, I think I got number two, and my brother got number one, and, uh, so we started reading that, and at the same time, um, uh, comic book collector cards, like, they were, like, baseball cards, but for superheroes, right, (laughs) were really, really popular, and so, like, at least at the beginning, like, even more so than being into comics, I was super into these, trying to get all the uh, cards, collector's cards, and so, uh, and they was, come with the books. No, no, they you came bought, in packages. You bought them in a pack, cards. and they were like they started out at like fifty cents. But I think by the time I stopped collecting them, they were like a buck fifty, two bucks a package. And uh, they, the cool thing about that was like, I think comic books in general can be really uh, hard to get into. Uh-huh. Like, it's hard to just like go to a comic book store and find something that you can jump into and yeah, un- understand. Right I away. certainly have that issue because I, I don't read very much in the way of comic books because, partially because I wouldn't even know where to begin. But like I was reading these comics, these uh, X-Men comics from the early 90s and at the same time I was like getting these cards and it would be like there'd be a little profile on the back and it would be like, you know, Cyclops, real name Scott Summers, height 6 foot 3 uh, <laughs> superpower uh, concussive optic blasts <laughs> Cyclops was one of the original X-Men in 1963. Uh, you know, he was, uh, an or- he was an orphan. It was t- so it give you, like, this guy's, like, whole deal. Uh-huh. And they had cards on other stuff, too. Like, they had event cards. So there were <laughs> cards that described, like, major storylines that had come before. So uh-huh. that, that was kind of how I got into that. And, you know, like, I, I started reading... Uh, I, when I started reading comics, I pretty much just read X-Men comics. Oh, wow. So I... 
but the, that's because like in the nineties, the X-Men were like the top selling comic. Amazing. The industry was actually like collapsing wow. and, uh, X-Men books were some of the only comics that were really selling really well. So there were like, there was X-Men, Uncanny X-Men, X-Force, X-Factor, Generation X, Excalibur, which was like European dimension hopping X-Men. <laughs> uh, so my brother and I would, who's young, two years younger than me, uh, we would collect these comics. Uh, and as I was getting older, uh, you know, and my, my different friends started like dropping off, like not reading comics right. or <laughs> getting into like cool dude stuff, like football and girls. Uh, I kept reading them because, you know, when you're a kid and you read comics, what's appealing about it is like these superheroes who do these awesome things and have these like crazy adventures. Mm-hmm. And like, as I started getting into middle school, you know, I was like picked on and made fun of a lot. And so like the, the appeal, appeal. of X-Men became like m- the metaphor. Like sure. these are super, different people. they're different and they are hated and feared by a world that they are sworn to protect and I was like, that is just like me I can in, the si- in the sixth grade getting, uh, you know, beat up and picked on, but still trying to do the right thing, <laughs> even though I have no friends and nobody likes me. Uh, and like, it was, it was a real, like, it was something I needed at Aww. that age. Like it was, it was a real, like, uh, it, it. You know, when I was, like, a really sad, lonely kid, I could, like, escape into these sad and lonely superheroes. That's awesome. Uh, And, yeah, and I, it's, you know, now 20 years after that, and I still read those comics. Right. That's awesome. I think, I think that uh, at times we can forget or take for granted that those kind of stories do have those effects, especially on young people. Yeah. But even, I mean, even in, uh, current, uh, like, I feel like the Marvel movie franchise is really going for, um, trying to, like, humanize all of the, uh, uh, superheroes so that you have some sort of entry point like that. Yeah. And, you know, that's always been Marvel's thing. Mm -hmm. Like, er not always, but, like, really since they launched... Like, Spider-Man and Fantastic Four in the 60s, like, I, the way I always put it is, like, Superman's your dad, like, (laughs) Superman's DC Comics big guy, like, Superman is the guy you aspire to be, he he can, like, do anything, and he's always, like, the goodest, like, he has the most morality, and he would never do anything wrong, whereas, like, you're Spider-Man, like, you're Spider-Man, he, Spider-Man, you know, when he originally debuted, was a teenager, he screws everything up all the time. Right. He has superpowers, but, like, like Superman can, like, punch the moon and crack it in half. And, like, <laughs> Spider-Man can lift a Buick, and it's really hard for him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like... They're more rational superpowers. Yeah. Like, Superman is not, like, going out on a date and, like, screwing it up. Uh, Spider-Man is, like accidentally letting his girlfriend die. Right. Uh, when the Green Goblin throws her off a bridge. Right. 
so. Yeah, I think, uh, I know Chris Geiger has spoken to that a lot, because he's uh, a really big um, Spider-Man guy and doesn't really care for the Superman, like, story and universe, yeah. and backs it up with that kind of uh, feeling about it. I, I actually, I think they're both valid. Like, yeah. I think both of those things are good. And right. like, both of those things have their place. Like, I think Superman's an awesome character and he's super important to like American culture. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually, I get really angry <laughs> about the way that he's frequently written in the comics and the way the last two Superman movies have portrayed him. Because mm-hmm. they keep trying to do Superman as Batman. They keep trying uh... to make him this, like, dark, brooding character. And he's he's not. He's, like, fun and hopeful and entertaining. Like, yeah. Superman doesn't go to the Fortress of Solitude and, like like, think about all of the horrible things that are happening in his life. And right. And he's an alien, and he's all alone, you know, like, Superman goes out and saves the day. Just his lot in life, and he accepts that, and is a hero in spite of, or because of how, what his origin is. Yeah, you know, like, the guy's a living manifestation of the best ideals of the greatest generation. <laughs> that's that's yeah. who Superman is. Yeah. Uh, so, the uh, X-Men, I I think it's really important, an important factor to, uh, that they are supposed to be um, outcasts, and, and even in, I think it's an interesting, um, I guess there, it's, uh, it varies among uh, comic book stories, seemingly, that, like, uh, the levels of knowledge and information that human, the quote-unquote, like, humans, non-superhumans have of what these heroes are supposed to be. Yeah. And their uh, actual identities and things like that. But I feel like the X-Men universe is relatively unique where that's concerned in that ev- that everyone knows what mutants are. Uh, whether or not they accept what they are. Yeah, I mean, they've... Probably not always, but, you know, for most of the history of of the X-Men, they've kind of been used as this, like, really blatant metaphor yeah, for right. <laughs> uh, persecuted peoples. Like, you know, in the, in the, like, 70s and 80s, they really hit the, like, racial metaphor, mm-hmm. like, over the head. There was, like, a comic... Uh, called God Loves, Man Kills, where the bad guy is this, like, evangelical preacher who's basically, like, preaching about, like, the separation of the races. Uh, And, like, in Days of Future Past, we see a storyline where, like, all of the mutants in the future get rounded up and put into camps. Right. Uh, Right. You know, like, like really hammering that nail hard on the head. Uh, and then in the 90s, they kind of started to turn it into a metaphor for, like, the oppression of gay people. Like, a big storyline in the 90s was there was this thing called the legacy virus, and the legacy virus was this, like, wasting disease that only affected mutants. Oh, wow. So it was like, they were they were really trying to play up on all of the news about AIDS. Well, that's why one of, one of the storylines in uh, one of the first... One of the movies of the first trilogy, right? It was X-Men 3. Okay. uh, Which is my all-time most hated movie. (laughs) Uh, Period? (laughs) Just period. (laughs) I really, 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 
really hate Con Air. So, like, that is... <laughs> the fact that that's underneath Con Air. The fact that, like, when I was watching the movie, I was just like, I can't believe I'm going to hate this X-Men movie more than Con Air. <laughs> uh, that's a conscious thought you had. <laughs> <laughs> this is worse than putting the bunny back in the box. Oh, good Lord. Uh, yeah. A movie. It's got such a good cast. It's I know. So bad. It's outrageous. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's so disappointing. But I just, I loved the X-Men so much that I had this, like, intense visceral reaction to the fact that, you know, Fox just made this just absolute pile of garbage. <laughs> uh, and then when I was watching X-Men Days of Future Past... I, which I still haven't seen, unfortunately. Oh. I was going to try to watch it before we talked, just so we could talk more in-depth oh, about all right. it. But well, I, I won't get too in-depth, but they, they basically, like... They basically do something that made me, like, kind of tear up a little bit Aww. and, like, walk out of the movie theater thinking, like, all is forgiven Fox. <laughs> like, for 20th Century Fox. Like, right. That, that'll that do. Good. Uh, that's good to know. I, that's the thing is, like, I, I'm kind of disappointed with myself in not seeing it yet because I feel like most people that I know enjoyed it. No one really hated it. Yeah. I mean, it's not as good as the movies that Marvel Studios is putting out like sure. it's it's really really good. Okay. I really loved it. But like, how did how'd you feel about First Class? Because I loved First. Class. I really liked First yeah. Class. I mean, there's definitely things in that movie I can point to uh, as flaws. Like, I just don't think January Jones should be cast. God, in, she was awful. Yeah, she shouldn't be cast in things. Anything. Uh, That's how I, I I feel that way about very few people. But she's probably one of them. I'll back that up. And I don't think Kevin Bacon's really that good in it either. It's weird. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think he was just miscast. So I'm and I and then the the other biggest complaint I always have about that movie is that scene where they show Mag- Magneto hunting Nazis in Jer- in Argentina right. is so cool. Right. But like I just want Why that to see be more a of that. movie. Yeah. Like, I I mean just make a 2-hour movie where Magneto hunts uh Nazis in Argentina. That I, would be amazing. Especially with Michael Fassbender playing Magneto. Right. Like no complaints here. <laughs> no. He's an incredible actor. It's uh, yeah, I think his aspects of the film are some of the best parts of it. I would absolutely watch an entire uh, Michael Fassbender-led Magneto movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would watch two of those movies. <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, I just saw Guardians of the Galaxy over the weekend. Oh, it was so good! Jesus, it was isn't so good. good! I feel like that, what, we could not talk about it at all. Because uh, <laughs> I was pretty sure you would see it, too. I, I mentioned it. Uh, a bunch of the guys from Improvised Star Trek. And, oh, went together. And a bunch of other friends. Yeah. We, we, uh, we went and saw it on Saturday night. And uh-huh. it was so good. It made me so happy. Yeah. It uh, was absolutely incredible. Entertaining from start to finish. Yeah. I just hilarious. want Chris Pratt and Rocket <laughs> Raccoon to be the leads in every movie. Yeah. Not Bradley Cooper, but Rocket Raccoon. Rocket Raccoon. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, there was there were no arguments. Uh, someone from the Nerdlogs told me that uh, the line where, uh, so when they're kind of trying to, like, rally the troops and have a plan to actually try to um, uh, uh, get the Infinity uh, Stone back, and um, everyone's standing up in the circle and, like, accepting their role in this plan. And finally, uh, Rocket Raccoon is like, yeah, stand up. I guess we're standing. We're all standing. (laughs) Um, Someone told me that that line was improvised by the stand-in for Rocket Raccoon. Oh, that's really funny. Yeah, which was uh, played, or apparently James Gunn's brother was the stand-in. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I, I thought that was such a fun little tidbit. 
but yeah, what a fun movie. And it just totally fits the spirit of everything else that they did in that movie. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the thing that really excites me about it is, like, I love comic books so much, and I'm so passionate about comic books. And comic books are really fucking weird sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, like, just to touch back on X-Men for a second, like, there's a character in the X-Men comics whose name is Dupe. Uh, and he's like this floating green thing. Uh, he has no legs. He just has arms. He has like giant yellow eyes and he wears no clothes, but he has a big like X-Men logo on his chest. Uh, and he speaks in this weird alien language that everybody in the comic can understand, but like no people can understand. And he's, uh, you know, to use like some improv terms, he's a character endowment character. (laughs) You know, like they're always like, oh yeah. Dupes uh, slept with just about every woman on the team, right. or like, oh, I remember when Dupe was fighting with us back in World War II. <laughs> they just go back uh, to it every time. So he's, but he's such a weird character, and when they first started making uh, superhero movies in, I mean, when they first, when superhero movies went from being like a little thing to like a really big thing. Right. You know, when Blade and the first X-Men movie came out, mm-hmm. they were like, very, they they toned everything down mm-hmm. and like matrixed everything up. Mm-hmm. Like gone were like the super colorful costumes. Right. Everybody was wearing like tight Muted. leather and like they kind of toned down superpowers. I'm sure a lot of that was for like budget reasons, of, and stuff reasons. like yeah, that. Yeah. But like when I watch a movie like Thor or like especially Guardians of the Galaxy, you know they're at the point where they're like. These movies have been so successful. Let's just throw Try. the weirdest fucking shit that yeah. we have up there and see what happens. We are going to have a talking cyborg space raccoon right. whose partner is a tree. Right. Uh, who you will love by the uh, end of the movie. Absolutely. You will cry Probably about, cry about by it. The end yes. Of the movie. Yes. Like maybe a couple of times. Yes. Uh, guilty tree, <laughs> fucking tree played by Vin Diesel. Uh, you know, yeah, triple X himself, uh, <laughs> and and like it works. Mm-hmm. It, it works. It works because they commit to that world and mm-hmm. they commit to those ideas. And I'm, it just makes me so excited because there's so much weird stuff in comic books that I, I was always like, well, they'll never be able to do that in Hollywood. And now I'm like. Fuck, do a devil dinosaur movie. Like, <laughs> let's see like let's see the haunted tank on the big screen or Yeah, that's it. That was the mo- that's the most miraculous thing about Guardians of the Galaxy to me is that like it seemingly it could be so inaccessible and somehow it is uh just across the board excessively entertaining. Yeah. So I agree with you that I feel like it opens the doors for a lot of things. But it also makes you go back, like you're saying, and, and question like, well, why why hasn't why haven't we always tried to make movies like this? Right. Right. Well I mean but it's it's been a process, you know? Yeah. Like, it's been a a slow process. Transition, yeah. Cause yeah. you see I mean it's not like uh, the Avengers didn't also effectively do a lot of the things that uh, Guardians of the Galaxy does. Or even, I think, First Class yeah. uh, is is similar in that, you know, really great characterizations and acting and uh, fun things about the movie and not just, like, super serious, like you said, Matrixy muted things. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, what... Well, 
Dupe? Was that the name of the weird action character? He's such a weird... He actually debuted in a comic... It started out being called X-Force, and then they changed the name to (laughs) X-Statics. And kind of the... Kind of the premise of the comic was that it was, this was like one of the weirder X-Men comics that they did, but they kind of like merged a a superhero team with like a reality TV show where like all of these guys on uh, the superhero team were like celebrities. So they took a lot of like celebrity archetypes, like, you know, the stuck up rich girl Mm -hmm. and like the angry black guy and, and like turned them into like the closeted Gay guy. Yeah. Uh, They turned them into uh, superheroes and went with it. And a flying green thing. (laughs) But, and of all the characters from that comic, the 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 flying green one is the one that's like, (laughs) had staying power. He's got got his own solo limited series that's coming out right now. Uh, So... What do you, I feel like, like I said, I haven't read that many comic books, but I have a lot of friends who do, who will often, uh, I mean, more often than not, it's when a big uh, comic book movie comes out is when a lot of those conversations happen about, like, well, this is in comics and this isn't and things like that. Uh, To me, it seems like, like you said, there are so many ridiculous things that are written into comic books. Do you think that's just the sheer volume of them that have to be written? Well, I mean, so most com I mean, everything about comics is, like, at least marginally ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like, the idea that, <laughs> the idea that, you know, uh, Superman's, like, family Kryptonian, like, crest just happens to be, like, a and big... A giant S. A big letter S. Yeah, right, right. You know? I didn't even realize that until I saw the first... One, yeah, uh, relatively recently. That's a retcon. Like that's something that ha- it hasn't always been like that. Oh, really? That's something that it's like a Lucas thing. <laughs> he like claim goes back and claims something was supposed to be like this. Yeah, a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, there are comic books that are very like gritty and down to earth, uh-huh. and you know, like Batman comics are usually like that. Sure, um, unless Grant Morrison is writing them. <laughs> uh, and but the Frank Miller's written a decent number of those, and those are all... That's all Frank Miller writes. Frank, right. I mean, Frank Miller just straight up hates superheroes and, like, weird stuff. And, so he just purposefully and, makes it super serious? Yeah. I mean, like, I, I really like Dark Knight Returns, his, like, magnum opus. Mm-hmm. But, like, the whole comic is basically, like, Batman beating the shit out of all of the other superheroes. <laughs> like, he, he, right, yeah. I just did my episode last week was with Andy Jones about Batman, and he touched on this too. Um, and people love that that series, and like rightly so. But like Frank Miller just fucking hates superheroes and weird stuff. Like that's his like whole mo. Interesting. Uh, but I mean, that's actually. I mean, one of the things I like about the X Men so much when they first debuted the series. They were referred to as America's strangest teenagers or like the oh, world's cool. weirdest teens. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, they all had these like super weird superpowers. Uh-huh. Like, uh, you know, like Superman's got heat vision and Cyclops, who's the leader of the X Men, has the ability to shoot beam optic blasts, which are beams of concussive force. Which I always have to tell people, he doesn't have heat vision, Uh he doesn't shoot lasers from his eyes, Uh he shoots beams of concussive force. (laughs) 
so <laughs> he can blow a hole in a mountain by looking at it. Right. He's not he's not melting a hole in the wall. Uh, sure. He's, he's, it's like punching it. Right. With the you know the force of a, like a million tanks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but he can't control his superpowers, yeah. so he has to uh, you know wear this ruby quartz visor. That keeps his powers from, you know, going Always. all over the place and killing everyone he loves. <laughs> or, uh, you know, Beast is this... Uh, ori- he didn't originally have blue fur. He originally had uh, giant hands and giant feet. So he's like this super awkward look. He's super strong, and but he's just this like really weird gorilla looking guy. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, who has like the mind of a scientist and a poet. Uh, and, you know, they've kind of continued on with weird characters like that with really, you know, in oftentimes an X-Man superpower is just as much a curse as it is a blessing. Sure. Uh, you know, like Rogue, uh, can absorb the superpowers of other people, but if she touches someone, it may also kill them. So she, you know, she'll never know the touch of another person or, uh, you know, Jean Grey, who seemingly has, uh, you know, a very cool, like, convenient power, which is she's got telepathy and telekinesis, uh, you know, she has so much power that, you know, when kind of pushed, yeah. she becomes the Dark Phoenix and snuffs right. out a sun. <laughs> uh, you know, it's... It, That's definitely one of the coolest things about it is is that they opportunities are just endless for characters and powers and things like that. And I suppose that is technically on the table for other series, but it has to, you, you'd have to get a little more outlandish, uh, to kind of justify those kind of choices. Yeah. I did, I did read an interview with Stan Lee once where he said that, Oh yeah, we, the reason we created the X-Men is we just got bored with coming up with origin (laughs) stories. Sure. Uh, so we were like, Nah, let's just say they were born with their There's superpowers. There's a mutation. That's so funny. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Although, they've even changed the, like, nature of mutations over the years. Like, originally, the X-Men got their superpowers because their parents were, at some point, exposed to radiation. Oh, really? So, like, Beast's parents worked in a nuclear power plant. Oh, that's so, interesting. So, you know, he got his superpowers, you know, retroactively from his parents, and now they've turned it into, uh, like, it's evolution. Uh-huh. Like, mutants are, they're homo superior. They're the next stage of human evolution, and, you know, they're going to wipe us out. Uh-huh. Humans are, you know, we're, we're the Neanderthals now. Uh-huh. Um, Which uh, is another thing that can totally uh, feed into it being... Um, and, uh, an analogy for other aspects of actual human culture. Right. Because who knows. Um, but yeah, and then robots and stuff are going to take over. Uh, <laughs> That's a different conflict. Right. <laughs> I mean, unless you're talking about the Sentinels, who are evil robots who want to take over the Earth. Right. Who fight the X-Men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what would you say are some of your favorite uh, storylines from, uh, I would say from comics, and what are your fa- some of your favorite things that they have covered in, uh, did you, do you watch the, uh, animated series? I've, I watched the animated series in the 90s, mm-hmm. which is okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I watched a li- here and there, not I watched, too much. I watched some of X-Men Evolution and some of Wolverine and the X-Men, and you know, both of those are, they're decent. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite storylines are, 
Uh, I mean, the Dark Phoenix Saga is kind of like the first one most people will point to as like the best mm-hmm. X-Men story. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really good. Which it, is one of the reasons why people hate the third movie so much. Yeah. Correct? They try well. They tried to do like four different storylines right. in that third movie, and right. it was like three storylines too many. So they were <laughs> they were trying to do like Dark Phoenix Saga, and they were trying to do Joss Whedon's Astonishing X Men run, which was really new at the time. Interesting. And they were trying to do like their own storyline, and there were like a billion characters. And yeah. they were changing a lot of character things because uh, Wolverine is kind of flashier as a, a yeah. leader type than... Yeah, Wolverine in the comics is this, like, five foot three pissed off Canadian guy. Yeah. And in the movies, he's, like, so handsome. Yeah. And, and like, I don't know, he's he's not nearly as, like, rough around the edges. Uh-huh. Uh, and... He's not... So- He's not burly, either. Yeah, right. I was actually looking at some pictures from the... I just watched The Wolverine uh-huh. a couple weeks ago for the first time, and I was looking at some pictures of him from that movie and then from the first X-Men movie, and Hugh Jackman has gained, like, 50 pounds. Really? In he size? Was, he looks so skinny in that first movie. Yeah. He's such a baby. Yeah. Uh, That's really funny. But... You know, Dark Phoenix Saga is really good, and it's it's a weird story too because it's a in a lot of ways it's like a very non X Men story. Like, it's not about like mutants being persecuted uh-huh. uh, or like you know fighting against uh, human supremacists. Right, right. It's about like the X Men going into space and fighting like space aliens and space superheroes. Interesting. And, uh, but it's, it's a really good story. Uh, I love Grant Morrison's entire run, uh, on new X-Men. That is just so good. Uh, (laughs) it's so good. Uh, because he's just such a weird writer and he had such, you know, he introduced so much stuff, new stuff that they're still working and that still working, still using that comic had been stagnant for, like, a decade before Interesting. that. It, like, no one had wanted to do anything new after Chris Claremont left the book in the early 90s. And so they just kind of ended up, like, rehashing the same things over and over again. And then Grant Morrison came on, and he just totally wrote it in a different way. He had this whole idea that the X-Men were, like, post-superheroes. And, like, what does that mean? And that, huh. like, the tr- that Magneto and Professor Xavier were less interesting than the ideas of those characters. Uh, So they, you know, a lot of the comic revolves around like, okay, well, you know, Magneto's kind of irrelevant now. Like, how is the idea of Magneto more interesting than the person of Magneto? So that's, that's kind of cool. So what Um, the kinds of things that they were trying to accomplish as characters or... Uh, what do you mean by the idea? So, like, Magneto and Professor X are kind of portrayed as, uh, you know, the metaphor that usually gets used is, like, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. So, like, Martin Luther King, you know, or Professor X wants, like, peaceful coexistence. Sure. And Magneto wants to, like, achieve mutant rights by any means necessary. Right. He will kill as many people as he needs to kill if he thinks that it will, you know, make things better for mutants. Yeah, it's like uh, Dumbledore versus Voldemort. <laughs> yes. Uh, actually, Dumbledore versus Grindelwald might okay, be a more sure. apt comparison. Sure. Because there is kind of like 
a like a bromance. Like uh-huh. Magneto and Professor X are like best friends and intele- uh-huh. intellectual equals, uh-huh. as well as being worst enemies. As opposed to being uh, one being a uh, teacher of the other at some point. That's a good point. That's so a, that's a good comparison. At the top of the run, Magneto seemingly dies, but then you watch all of these characters who are kind of like influenced by him. Okay, and you know taking his philosophies to heart mm-hmm. uh and I, I don't know i just i love that i just think that's so interesting that is cool um and that story that whole thing's just great there's like the arch villain of the whole storyline is a hyper intelligent uh ancient bacteria <laughs> and there's the there are these guys called the U-Men who uh, want to be mutants okay so they like cut off mutant body parts and like affix them to their own bodies Jesus. So there are these guys with, like, <laughs> bug wings uh, attached to their backs or, like, claws or eyes uh, of mutants or whatever. It's it, it's so weird and screwed up. They took the, uh, the Sentinels, who are... Tra- are human as a play on X-Men? Yes. <laughs> wow. There are a lot of teams in the Marvel Universe whose <clears throat> names are, like, plays on, on X-Men. There's mm-hmm. the X-Men, there's the U-Men, there's the S-Men... Who are thugs of the Red Skull? Uh, there's there's a lot of that going Interesting. on. So I love that storyline. Um, I love Joss Whedon's Astonishing X Men. All of it. I didn't even know that Joss Whedon had written a, an X Men. Oh series. yeah, That's jo- awesome. Joss Whedon always says that like one of his big inspirations for Buffy the Vampire Slayer was Kitty Pride Shadowcat. Oh, I think I have heard that before. Uh, and so he he actually wrote. Uh, about, I think, 24 to... It was like 24 to 28 issues of X-Men uh, after Grant Morrison. Like, he was their big get. He was the oh, guy sure, they got sure, to sure, that makes sense. Because you had to have something. <laughs> and he did like he didn't do as many new things with it. Uh-huh. But he just did it really... He wrote just like a really good X-Men storyline. Which seems like a Whedon thing yeah <laughs> like to, i'm not gonna reinvent the wheel i'm just gonna do something really good just, and make sure that women are equally represented <laughs> yeah that checks out <laughs> yeah. um so so those are really good i i really like a lot of what they're doing right now like yeah. i think a lot of the x-men comics that are coming out now are really 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 good uh, all new X Men, which is like the most like ridiculous idea for a comic. Basically, the premise is that Beast in the present goes back in time and gets the original five X Men from the '60s and brings them to the present. Uh, which were uh, Cyclops, Marvel Girl, Iceman, uh, Angel, and himself, Beast. Gotcha. So he brings these... That's what I was thinking was that he was one of the really early ones. Yeah. So he brings these five kids to the present, and, like, you know, most of the time, if you do, you, they did something like that in a comic book, those characters would end up going back to their their original time by the sure. end of the storyline. But they've now been around for, like, two years. That's so funny. Uh, so you're watching these characters kind of, like, interacting with their older selves, and, like... A lot of times they don't like who their older selves That's so funny. have become. And, like, right before this happened, Professor X was killed. And so they're dealing with the fact that, like, their mentor is dead. And, uh, you know, they've basically decided that they're going to stay in the present until, you know, their future until they've, like, 
fixed the world, uh, which to them is like a crazy, like post-apocalyptic world. Even right. It's just our world. Right. They just can't fathom all the things that are different. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. I feel like that's, I, yeah, I just don't think those kinds of things, I mean, like I said, I haven't seen Days of Future Past, and I know that's some, uh, there's some, like, crossover and themes there in terms of uh, time jumping and, and such. Yeah. And uh, different characters getting a viewpoint on uh, the way things are going. Uh, but I feel like there's so, I just, like, I don't know, there's a lot of comic stuff that I just don't know, don't know how it's ever going to translate, but there's also so much more material there than there ever will be in film. Yeah. Well, and film's so different, you know, like a comic book story usually will take place, you know, over the course of somewhere between like three to 12 issues. Mm -hmm. And like some comics are just like way too long to ever be a movie. Try to be. So like the fact that they tried to make Watchmen into one movie is just stupid. Like Watchmen is so thick and so dense Right. And, like, they should never have tried. Uh, they were, I mean, they were going to try one way or another. And, and, and they shouldn't have tried, period, or they shouldn't have tried to fit it all in one film. They shouldn't have tried. <laughs> they shouldn't have done, like, it's it's not. Especially it, Zack Schneider. <laughs> the, it's, not, it's not meant to be a movie. And the thing that Zack, the one thing I will say is I've seen interviews with Zack Snyder where he's like, look, if somebody else had done this, it it would have been worse. Yeah. Like, you should see the pitches that other people made really? for this movie. Yeah, this is also <laughs> something we, I talked about with Andy. I, I really appreciate how much of Watchmen is, like, frame for frame. It, it's just, like... It's it's almost too much, though. Like, it's yeah. too slavish. Like, the original comic was meant to be, like, a, dis, uh, a deconstruction of superhero comics. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know the thing to do wouldn't have been to do a panel-for-panel panel remake. It would have been to make a deconstruction of superhero mo- oh, movies. Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. That's and an interesting thought. They also use the, you know, basically the sequential art in the comic to tell the story. Like, there are, like, pages that are, like, perfectly symmetrical mm-hmm. and uh, things like that. And stuff that they just can't do in a movie, but there are other things that you can do in a movie that would be similar. Um Plus, you know, there's all the crazy pirate ship stuff. And yeah, they cut all that out completely. Well, they made, like, an animated... Yeah, and I never saw that, because I just didn't care enough. <laughs> uh, Plus, they changed the end, and I'm still mad about that. Yeah, most people are. I I, I see why. They're right. They're right to feel that way. Actually, the thing I'll always remember about seeing that movie in the theater is it's a superhero movie, so most parents see, like, commercials and trailers for superhero sure. movies, and they're like, oh, superheroes... Kids love Spider-Man, kids, kids yeah. love Batman. Oh boy. We're, like, sitting there in the theater, and it's rated R. Yeah. And there are all these kids in really? the theater, and there's this, like, this ridiculous sex scene in the movie. Uh-huh. And, like, all of these kids are, and you can just watch the parents, like, what am I, what is going on? <laughs> I actually saw it twice in theaters. Once uh, was uh, with, um, a like, my college rented out an entire theater and sold, like, dollar tickets to it. And I was like, yes, this is how I'm going to see this movie. And then I ended up, uh, like, visiting my uncle or something. And my uncle and my cousin hadn't seen it yet and really wanted to. And I was like, nah, yeah, sure. And when I went with my uncle and my cousin, there was a dad with, like, three or four little kids. Yeah. Like, sitting, wait, 
way in front of us. And during the opening sequence, which is has enough fodder in it to not keep kids around, uh, just got up and walked up. And yeah. I was like, yes, good choice. Yeah, nice work. <laughs> oh, man. Um, what else? I guess a lot of the... I, I, a lot of them... I'm sorry, I just had a huge brain fart. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, what, yeah, so... Um, we've talked a lot about, like, proper ways to, uh, well, we just talked about, like, okay, so, The Watchmen, in your opinion, would have, uh, been better served as a, uh, a, a reaction to superhero movies, much like The Watchmen was a reaction to superhero comics. Or, so, like, just don't make it. Or just don't make a movie. Sure. But, like, yeah, I just don't think it was ever going to sit on a shelf and not get touched. I just no, you're right. You're, you're right. That's that's the that's the sad thing. Like, right, it was never going to not get touched. And right. It should have just not been touched. Right. So how like I don't know how how do you feel like these the kind of things that like Grant Morrison uh, has worked into. Uh, these X-Men comics and like Joss Whedon, you've talked a lot about like how, what, how those things are really, uh, cool and, and fun to watch and like different from other, uh, comics. Like how does that translate or can it ever? I mean, days of future past is a pretty good version of the comic book story days Mm -hmm. of future past. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, as far as the movies go, it's, it's pretty much the first time they've made an X-Men movie. That's, that was just a storyline that yeah. they decided to make. And, like, I, I would love to see them do that more in the future. Yeah. I guess that's what I was trying to ask was, like, is there merit to that? Yeah. Oh, no. There's totally merit to, like, doing a storyline and translating it into a movie like that. Um, I mean, they don't... Honestly, they don't do that that yeah. often with the movies. Which seems silly. At least not. <laughs> Doesn't it? At least not superhero movies. Like, yeah. when they made Sin City or The 300, they just did... Those are, like, panel-for-panel panel recreations oh, yeah. as well. And while, you know, there are certainly flaws with those movies, mm-hmm. uh, although I would argue that a lot of the flaws with those movies actually come from the comics themselves. Interesting. Uh, they're, you know, they're pretty well done, like just the story from the comic as mm-hmm. a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Which, you know, uh, I, I've gotten into uh, m- a member of the Nerdalogs, Joe Gennaro, uh, loves X-Men uh, super a bunch, and he's going to probably hate that I brought this up because I give him shit about it all the time, and uh, you can talk to him about this if you ever feel necessary. He really likes The Last Stand and really doesn't like First Class, and he argues... <sighs> That it's because he thinks that X, that uh, Last Stand is, like, more loyal to the uh, material from the comics than First Class is. And, and like, he... And he literally... I've heard him say the sentence, when I go to see a comic book movie, I think to myself, I like these comics. I like the stories that are in these comics. I want to see those stories on screen. He's wrong. <laughs> uh... And I'll tell you... Oh, he's going to hate so much that I brought this up. But t- sorry, I'll, Joe. Sorry, Joe. I don't even know Joe that well. I think we just became Facebook friends. Uh, I I would argue that uh, X-Men First Class is more true 
to the spirit of the material okay. than X-Men The Last Stand is. X-Men The Last Stand is more true to whatever fucked up things go through Brett Ratner's mind before right. he goes to sleep at night. <laughs> uh, and, which I assume is just like dollar signs. I guess, and you know, and uh, I don't, uh, don't want to like put words into his mouth. He said that's why he didn't like First Class, is because he didn't feel like it was very loyal. I, I think X-Men First Class is very loyal to the spirit, the spirit. The spirit of the X-Men comics. I think it's a great portrayal of the relationship between young Professor X and yeah. young Magneto. Yeah. That's what the movie revolves around. I think that X-Men The Last Stand is just a messy clusterfuck piece of shit yeah. of the movie. And, uh, and, that's, and when I've talked to him about it, I'm like, hey man, this is where I'm coming from. I like to watch good movies. I've never read any of these comics. I don't really know anything about these characters aside from what I've seen in the movies. Yeah. But the... But First Class, just for all intents and purposes, is a better film than Last Stand. Well, and so there's... A better made film. So there's there's a, something I'll bring up here. So I'm going to compare uh, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, cool. to um, Watchmen. Okay. And and the, the comparison that I'm going to make is uh, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, is a very loose take on the storyline The Winter Soldier from sure. Captain America... Watchmen is an attempt at making a very loyal, in some cases, panel-for-panel panel recreation of the comic book Watchmen. Sure. Uh, and Captain America the Winter Soldier is about a billion times better as a movie <laughs> yeah. than Watchmen is. Yeah. And that's because they they stayed, instead of trying to stay true to... Like, the shots, like, uh -huh. the literal, literal panels uh -huh. where, like, Rorschach, you know, throws uh, hot grease from the cafeteria into a mm -hmm. prisoner's face. Mm -hmm. They stayed true to the spirit, more true to the spirit of who the characters are and what the comic is about. Whereas, uh, you know, movies like X-Men The Last Stand and Watchmen are trying to, like, recreate something that happened in the comic, but somewhere the spirit of what that thing is supposed to be and what it's supposed to be about gets lost in translation. Interesting. In some cases, like, if you're Zack Snyder, because you are trying to, like, stay true to the comic without understanding what the phrase stay true to the comic actually means. Sure. That's cool. I, I like that way of looking at it, for sure, as opposed to just, like you said, being a slave to what it looks like. Um... That's also my problem with J.J. Abrams' Star Trek movies. Oh, interesting. They're like, well, we had Tribbles in it and Khan, so Star Trek fans it's should love it. like it. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I'm just like, no. That's that's like making a movie with a whale in it, being like, it's Moby Dick. <laughs> we know you guys like whales. Yeah, I. that's another thing that like I, I like and find entertaining, but don't have enough of background to actually have, like, uh, more formed opinions on them like you obviously do. That was a real Fridge Logic movie for me. Uh, the, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the term. From uh, the Crystal Skull? But the idea that, like, uh, I think it existed even before that. I always okay. think of The Phantom Menace. The okay. Because, like, you go and you watch a movie and you're either like, oh, that was okay, or like, oh, that was really good. And then, like, three days later, you're thinking about it, and you're, like, staring at your refrigerator like, for no reason. Oh. And you're like, oh, man, but Chandra Banks was, like, a super racist character. That's so funny. And, like, oh, God, the Trade generate trade Federation characters were, like, they were, like, these awful, like, uh, 
Japanese stereotype. Oh I, my god, that movie was terrible. I, I would, um, and to a lesser extent, I would put, we, this is another thing I talked about with Andy, this is so funny, uh, last week about Batman, um, and he talked about it uh, where Into Darkness is concerned. It's, it was one of those things where, like, while he was watching it, he was thoroughly entertained, and then the next day, or, like, the drive home, he was like, wait a minute, there are terrible things about this movie. Yeah. Uh, but he also said the same thing about uh, Dark Knight Rises, and I can't disagree with that. That's interesting. I, I think I kind of feel the opposite about Dark Knight Rises. Like, I feel like when I saw you that... think about it, you liked it? Yeah, well, when I first saw the movie, I was like, oh, I don't think this was as good as The Dark Knight. I mean, I still don't think it's as good as The Dark Knight, yeah. but I think that my expectations for that movie were so high uh, that it was just never going to live up to that, and I really should have been comparing it more to, like, Batman Begins, uh, and I, I think that compared to that movie, it works favorably, and it ties things up, and... Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think it was more of a, uh, more of a, like, plot hole type thing, whereas, mm-hmm. like... You start thinking about all of the little details that kind of get skimmed over that you're not necessarily thinking about as the movie goes on. Yeah, but if you do that, like, no movies work. Yeah. Um, (laughs) That's fair. You know? Like, you can't do that. Like, movies are, all movies are, like, so lousy with plot holes. I would love to find the movie with the fewest plot holes in it. That's interesting. That would be amazing. Yeah. What do you think would even... I have no... I, like, I wouldn't even know... Be on I, the table. I wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't even know where to start. Like, people always like to point out that, like... Oh, you know, in Lord of the Rings, those golden eagles come and they whisk everybody away at the uh-huh. end of the movie. Why didn't they just help have them those. Yeah. at the beginning? And, you know, there are all these reasons... Someone you... recently posted, a, like, a defense of that. Like, that Gandalf knew the whole time or something. I didn't read it. Yeah. Because I, mean, I didn't care there, enough. <laughs> there, there are perfectly good reasons. They're all kind of bullshit. Yeah. Uh, they're like, well, there would... The real reason is there would be no movie. Right. That was the case. Sure. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's also like... Uh, well, how did Bruce Wayne get back to Gotham so quickly after he got out of that hole in Dark Knight Rises? Well, because the movie had to continue. Right. <laughs> did you want there to be a movie or not? Did you Did you want there to be an entire uh, se- sequence of the film that's him, like, getting to some city where he then gets on a plane or something? Yeah. I was watching the hell out of that. <laughs> We're going to have to pitch all these alternate um, world, like, we could have Magneto. um, Hunting Nazis. (laughs) Hunting Nazis. You know. Bruce Wayne getting back to Gotham. I guess the weird thing now is uh, there, like, a, a movie isn't the only thing that a story can grow up to be. Yeah. You know, like, with game shows like Game of Thrones. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, you sit there and you go, well, maybe this would be more interesting if they adapted it as a TV series. And then they wouldn't have to, like, squish everything down into, like, a two to nine hour uh, package. Yeah. Do you think, uh, I don't know anything about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. really, but that it seems like that could be uh, the dawn of that happening. Yeah, maybe. Although, like, that's, again, like, that's, in a lot of ways, like, that's based on even less than... Uh, most of the other stuff Marvel has done, like, those are mostly original characters. Yeah. Uh, like, Agent Coulson is in the comics now, Uh but he actually debuted in the movies. I I learned that recently, I think it was even in an interview with, uh, 
Greg, what's his, Clark Greg? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, I've listened to his Nerdist interview. What a cool guy! Yeah. He's super cool. Yeah, he is. I uh, like him a lot. I was really glad that that show turned around kind of at the end. Yeah. I watched the first half of the season and I was like, uh. The, that, that's the general consensus, I think. Actually, I love the pilot, but yeah. after that, it was kind of like, I'll have to check it out. I'm interested. So. Uh, and I haven't. You'll have to slog through some stuff. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Hold hold on, it gets good. Yeah. I promise. Awesome. Um, What do you want to see in other, like, would you be excited for, I mean, I haven't heard anything about what the next steps are as far as, like, X-Men movies or, like, even TV franchise stuff. So the next thing they're doing is they're making a movie called X-Men Apocalypse. Okay. Uh, it's going to be set in the 80s, uh, and supposedly it's going to feature the X-Men fighting Apocalypse, who's pretty much their biggest enemy who hasn't been in the movies yet. yet. Uh, Apocalypse is this, like, 8,000-year-old uh, mutant who has, like, shape-shifting and, like, vaguely defined other powers. <laughs> so he can, like, grow super tall or, like, turn his hand into a mace or whatever, but he can also, like, shoot energy, and he has, like, vaguely defined telepathic powers, and he's also, like, a mortal and can move his, like, mental presence into other bodies as he burns bodies out um, and stuff like that. So they're doing that, and but they're apparently going to tell kind of the origin story of the modern X-Men team who we see in the first X-Men movie. Okay. So it's going to be basically Cyclops, Storm, and Jean Grey fighting Apocalypse. And what I would like to see is those characters really done well. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I really like X-Men and I really like X-Men 2, but if I was going to make a big criticism of those movies, it's that... Cyclops, Storm, and Jean Grey are all basically turned into one-dimensional foils for Wolverine. Yeah. Uh, and they're not allowed to be people, and they're not allowed to be interesting. <laughs> and Yeah, like, as someone who doesn't have any comic background, it's been so interesting to hear people discuss what the role of Wolverine is and how different it is. Yeah. Um, Do you think that's all just, like, a a result of, like, Hugh Jackman being cast in that role? No, I mean, Wolverine's been... Is it supposed to be more interesting? Wolverine's always been, like, a super popular character. Like, when I was a little kid and we would, like, play X-Men and pretend to be X-Men, like, every kid wanted to be Wolverine, except for me, I always wanted to be Cyclops. Um, Yeah, that Uh, doesn't surprise me. Cyclops is my favorite character. People are always like, he's so boring, he's such a stick in the mud. And I'm just like, he's the most complicated, interesting (laughs) character in comic books. He's, you know, got this power that he can't control, so he always has to keep himself in control. And he's a brilliant tactician, Uh and... Uh, he's a terrible husband and boyfriend, and he's a terrible dad, uh, and it's partly because, like, his dad abandoned him and became a space pirate, uh, like, I don't know, like, he's just so interesting to me, and, Uh like, I, he's, in the comics, he's the leader of the X-Men, like, he's in charge of the X-Men, and in the movies, he's, like, the stereotypical, like, douchebag boyfriend from a rom-com. Right. Uh, like, he's just there to, like, 
be an asshole and make stupid faces. Hey, what's it, uh, what's the name of the guy who, uh, who plays James him? Marsden. Yeah. And I, I actually like him as an actor. I do too, but I think he is that type though. He yeah. is the douchebag boyfriend in a rom com. Right. He and then he plays that he plays that same role in the Brandon Ruth Superman movie too. Uh-huh. Uh it's like Lois Lane's boyfriend. Yeah. It's like apparently he's his like he's just destined to play uh douchebag boyfriends that in superhero slut. movies. <laughs> uh, but you know, I want to see Cyclops done really well, mm-hmm. and I want to see Storm done really well, mm-hmm. and I want to see Jean Grey as something other than, like, that girl who Wolverine just really wants to kiss. Right, uh, right. But he can't, because he's an animal. <laughs> uh, and he has to learn to be a man. Oh, boy. Uh, and yeah, he, I don't think you're alone in that, in, in the in the desire to see Cyclops get his due in the film franchise. Yeah, I mean, I want to, but I, there, there are just so many good X-Men characters, and, you know, X-Men, X-Men 2, X-Men 3, and Days of Future Past, were re- and both Wolverine movies, <laughs> we're, we're just all about Wolverine, yeah. and... You know, Cyclops is a great character, and Beast is a great character, and Rogue is a great character, and fuck, Pixie is a great character, <laughs> and... What are some characters that you'd love to see on screen that haven't really gotten any screen time? Uh, here's what I'll do. Here are some characters I would love to see on screen who will probably never, never. be... Ne- <laughs> not, who will probably never be either in a movie or featured prominently in a movie. Okay. Uh, Dupe. Yeah. Uh, Pixie, who is a Welsh mutant who has pixie wings and can teleport and has a spirit knife. Oh, uh, spirit knife. Magic, who is Colossus's little sister who has teleporting powers, but she was kidnapped by demons when she was a little girl. I think that was uh that was how I uh hooked you into doing the podcast in the first place. Yeah. Was that we were, I had done two episodes in a row about magic but and um, you proposed that you could do an entire episode about yeah. Magic. So, <laughs> magic is this, like, she's got these crazy demon powers and teleporting powers and a giant-ass Final Fantasy VII-style sword. That's amazing. Uh, that's, like, bigger than her whole body. Uh, she would be great. Uh, I would love... Who would play magic? Oh, God, I don't even know. Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> the, the complicated. I, I don't know if she's got the gravitas. Uh, I, I'd like to think she does. But, because magic, I mean, raised by demons, like, that's tough. Yeah. Uh, so that's complicated, though, because you, she's already playing Mystique. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> so, so those are characters. What about, like, uh, Elle Fanning? Uh, maybe. I, I think she's really good. Uh. In stuff. In stuff. I liked her in Super 8 a lot. I was thinking about that movie the other day, which is probably why she came to mind, but. Anyway. Yeah. So, I would love to see those characters. I would love to see... It, it can never happen now, but I would I would love to see just a movie about the five original X-Men. Like, mm-hmm. I think those characters are so good together, and they're so interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, Iceman is a really complicated, interesting character. And, you, you know, you've kind of only gotten the tip of the iceberg <laughs> oh, uh, no. with that character. I mean, in the movies, he's but I just... I love Sean Ashmore. He's just rogues... He's Rogue's Rogue boyfriend. BF, like yeah. he's just there to to like I don't know. They they don't play up the fact that like he's theoretically got he's theoretically like one of the most powerful mutants, but he's kind of like 
this guy who doesn't work hard or give a shit, so he never right. lives up to his full potential. Interesting. And he's got kind of a complex about it. <laughs> uh, so that's really cool to me. I would love to see them do an X-Factor movie with Multiple Man, uh, who's this guy who can create exact duplicates of himself, uh, <laughs> who's... I, I mean, they, he they made that. It's called Multiplicity. Yeah, they had him in X Men: The Last Stand, but that movie's terrible, so it doesn't count. Uh, <laughs> I remember that now that you mention it. I've only seen it once because why see it again? There was one character in X Men: First Class who I was like, I can't fucking believe they're using this character, uh, and it was Azazel, who's the red guy who looks kind of like Nightcrawler. Yes. Uh, and in in the comics, Azazel is Nightcrawler's dad. Wow. Uh, but he is also an ancient mutant. Like, he's also been alive for, like, thousands and thousands of years. And he, he is a, supposed to be, according to the comic, the inspiration for the actual devil. No uh, way. Like people would people would see him in early times and like that's where devil myths that's came so from. Funny. Uh and he's yeah, he's Nightcrawler's dad and Mystique is Nightcrawler's mom. Uh, <laughs> and so that's kind of an interesting I was just like Aspect. he's such a weird character, I can't believe they put him in there. But uh-huh. they, they never mention any of the devil stuff, so it doesn't really It doesn't come they don't. They didn't really use that weirdness to its full potential. Yeah. Uh, cool. I like where that landed. Um. So to uh, tie this up a little, um, and you, uh, I don't think I, um, you would know that this was coming, but I think you'll have a good answer for it. Uh, how do you feel like your love of X Men and all things involved? has influenced you both uh, creatively and uh, in general uh, over the years of your love for it. You know what? I I feel like it's always been a guiding light for my own morality. Uh, <laughs> awesome. You know, like, I, I, I really do feel like it's very important to, um, to do the right thing even when the right thing is a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that's really important to me. And like, that's a thing that I think I've really gotten out of X-Men comics. That's awesome. And then as far as like my own creativity, like I don't have a natural like predisposition towards weirdness. Okay. Like I always kind of try to tell people that, you know, if I was in a buddy cop movie, I would be the like really Super strict by the, by the book guy. <laughs> right. Cause like they wrote that book for a reason. Like yeah. they have rules for a reason. Uh-huh. Uh, I think that especially comes out when I'm coaching okay. improv. Uh, and when you play Crick Watson? Yeah, well, Crick Watson is just a <laughs> manifestation of all of my own worst qualities as a person. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's his character in Improvised Star Trek, for those who are unfamiliar. Yeah. Uh, so I I think that, like, reading those comics has kind of made, like, it, you know, it opens up that other part of my brain that I, you know, keep locked uh, in a, you know, black box. Uh, and, like... Just the idea. Well, just that, like, sometimes it's good to embrace the weird, and Mm -hmm. weird stuff can be okay sometimes. Mm -hmm. That's great. I think that's impacted me that way a little bit. I love that. I think those are great answers. Uh, Anything else you would feel remiss if you didn't mention it? About X-Men or just in general? Uh, I mean, both. Uh, Mainly about X-Men, but... Um... I, I just think all those comics are so good right now. If you, uh, people listening at home are looking uh, to, to get into comics, I would say go read All New X-Men or Uncanny X-Men, which are both written by Brian Michael Bendis. 
and are both just excellent. They're cool. both so good. I may take you up on that recommendation because I really have been trying to look for an entry into how to read more comics. I think I would dig it, and I just don't know where to begin. Wikipedia is super helpful, too. Yeah. Like, if you're reading a comic and you're like, I don't... What the fuck does this mean? <laughs> I, yeah. I don't really know what an Infinity Gauntlet is. Wikipedia, fucking 12 pages on it. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually did that because uh, I saw stuff about the Infinity Gauntlet uh, surrounding... Um, uh, things that have been happening at Comic-Con. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know what that is. And I read about it before I saw Guardians of the Galaxy, and I was glad I did, because it gave me a little bit more context for where that's concerned, because yeah. they didn't even touch on it at all. Uh, the gauntlet aspect of it. No, not really. Yeah, so, but I feel like they're just saving that for more things. Yeah, there's some, there's something coming with the Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah. It's either going to be, like, an Avengers movie or, like, an Avengers Guardians crossover movie. Which so. seems like it would be amazing. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for doing this. Hey, it no was problem. really fun. It was fun. Yeah. Uh, Sean Kelly, the way that I close out every episode is that I say, I love you and I mean that. Aw, yeah, that's so sweet. It's uh, I try, you know. This has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.